единый период нерабочих дней для всей страны и для всех отраслей экономики завершается. Но не завершается борьба с эпидемией. Ее опасность сохраняется. That's Russian President Vladimir Putin saying the period of non-working days for the whole country and for all sectors of the economy ends, but not the fight against the epidemic. It's not over. The danger remains, he added. Hello, everyone. This is Dana Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Backstory. As this was recorded, President Putin was in self-isolation outside of Moscow. His spokesman and his prime minister, among those who were in hospital with COVID-19. Russia's number of new cases jumping more than 10,000 per day. So why was Putin announcing an end to restrictions and allowing people to go back to work? While outsiders believe his government lied about the number of people dying, and the stories of overcrowded, underfunded hospitals are reported by investigative Russian websites, but never mentioned, of course, by government-controlled TV. To understand what's really going on inside the country, where I was based for 12 years as an American TV correspondent, I reached out to Mikhail Kashyanov. He's the former prime minister who was fired by Putin in 2004 and who also leads an opposition party in Russia. And he joins me now from Moscow. Good to see you, Mikhail, again. Hello. Good to see you. How are you personally doing? You're, you're locked down like everybody else in Russia. You're at home with your family. Um, it, it's been a number of weeks now. Yeah, that's already months and a half. Um, eight weeks we're already, we're already sitting, sitting at home and, uh, and self-isolation. And the regime in Poland, in Russia, I mean, just regime. It's not emergency situation, but something mixture. People don't quite understand which law is applicable right now, but uh, people try to follow uh, to follow the government's um, instructions. But some people don't. But we see the situation is uh, not uh, not not good. It's not very good. Ten thousand uh, infections every day. The virus spreading, and uh, it is quite a concern. Are they handling this the right way? Uh, I don't think so. First of all, that was a late, I would say, a late reaction. And secondly, just economic financial support of people and businesses absolutely poor. And I think that will be a dramatic development during this year. I think we would lose more than 5% of GDP because uh, Putin's uh, government doesn't do anything in support. I think we will lose more than 10% of GDP. Uh, they're shrinking the economy by, by the end of this year. Is he losing his grip? I mean, people seem frustrated there. Um, and there is not the kind of economic aid that we're seeing in other countries. And a lot of business people that, you know, that I still talk to say that they may never recover from this. Yeah, that, that's a problem. That's a problem, political problem for Mr. Putin. He's losing his, I would say, popularity, if we can say so. In fact, uh, it was not 85%, but was like 45, 50%. And he is losing this um, uh, public support, and especially in big cities, when people realize, educated people living in the middle class, and they realize that they're losing their money, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their businesses, and uh, just there is no response. He originally played, downplayed this. And now he's outside of Moscow, appearing occasionally on television. But to me, and I, I want to do a reality check with you, he doesn't look like the tough guy we normally see, the captain of the ship, that somehow 
to me as he usually does, that he's delegated a lot of this to others and he just doesn't seem himself. Is that, what do you think? Yeah, you picked up just an interesting feature. That's correct. He looks unusually, I would say, not strong enough, although he uses the same strong words to express that everything is under control and everything just uh, in operation. But in fact, he doesn't know what to do because his political plan was to have amendments to constitution, to make uh, to make a zero platform for himself to be another uh, one or two terms as a president of Russia. He losing this time. He cannot make this voting. Just uh, it, it's not a referendum, but some kind of approval, people's approval. But right now, I don't think just people would go to vote. And he understands this. And May May ninth uh, parade of victory over Nazi Germany was postponed. And all these events he planned as a political agenda as uh, raising his popularity and demonstrating his, I would say, power and strength. All those features disappeared and now just he had to allocate funds. He has a lot of funds, 10% of GDP and government reserve funds. It's not international resource of, of central bank. That's another 500 billion of US dollar. But we're talking about 10% of GDP in ruble, which is a budgetary fund, which uh, was created, this fund was created by me, spe specifically for such, I would say, black days. These black days come, came, but Putin doesn't react. And people asking this question, why these, these funds are not used to help them. He had to cancel the referendum to extend his term to make constitutional amendments. But I mean, maybe that's not very significant because he'll just hold it again at another time. It's, a, it's significant for him because it was his decision and he wanted his decision uh, to be supported. If it's not supported, that's already some kind of weakening. And he understands this. And people would immediately would start look, looking at him as, a, I would say, the not quite strong president. And that's, what, and that's very important psychologically for himself. He doesn't want to be, to be looked at as weak. That's why, that's why just in everyday operation, it doesn't mean much. You're correct just expressing this. But from the point of view of uh, uh, just the strength of, the, of, of Mr. Putin and uh, his reaction of all what's going on around, that's important. Important to get finalized, this plan uh, to be finalized. But it is not. You and I have known each other a long time. I mean, I, I followed you around Russia when you were campaigning to run as an opposition president. Uh, and you told me once that if oil slips, and I know you, you spend a lot of time on economics, that if oil prices slip, uh, the economy slumps, that people who put up with Putin's authoritarian regime will tire of it very quickly and he will lose power. Do you think we're there now? Uh, that's not the case. But of course, uh, I would say such fluctuations in their minds, that's already in place. And that's why, and that's why that's so important for Mr. Putin not to spend money because just the reserve fund, that's the only feature of a strengthening of his power. He understands that his public popular support is uh, uh, quite low and uh, falling down. And that's why he doesn't want to, to spend money, because just to have the, this helicopter money that's important for him just uh, later this year, even, even later this year. Because just in, uh, in, uh, in a few months, some kind, some kind of uh, uh, not organized demonstration will start to appear. Because people are already complaining that they have not, nothing to, to, to feed their children. 
And that's why just uh, the patients could, uh, could lose very soon. It's interesting that on mainstream television, of course, you know, people carry the Kremlin's message because you and I both know that the main channels are programmed by the Kremlin every day. So there's no freedom of press there. But people who live inside Russia who follow a lot of the Internet traffic and the digital traffic say that the mood is changing and that there are a lot of jokes uh, and there is a lot of anger and there is a lot of criticism of Putin and the prime minister and others. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. The negative attitude to Putin is growing. But it's difficult time, hard time to Mr. Putin to decide. And in fact, he should start spending money to, to support people. He announced the program only for 1.8% of GDP, while all other European countries having this support with the maximum of, or minimum of 8-10% uh, of, of GDP of their support. And Putin has this money. That is not some kind of um, um, uh, difficult, I would say, issue to find some way to borrow, etc. That's already existing fund to start spending and, uh, and supporting small and, and medium-sized businesses and people in particular directly, or those people who are losing, losing their, their, their jobs and they have no money to, to feed their families. That is, that is the issue, the critical issue. People's minds started to, I would say, to crystallize in a negative manner. Mikhail Kasyanov, the former prime minister of Russia, a, a Democrat, uh, somebody whose opinion I always respect and, uh, and, and perspective we appreciate. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Thank you. Thank you for your nice words, uh, Dana. Dana, you was great. Thank you. Great to talk to you. We in the Western media often overanalyze the state of Putin's grip on the Kremlin. I mean, no matter what anyone says, he's still very popular. Even in this crisis, and he's managed to push decision-making now to local governors, so analysts say he can likely blame them when things don't go well. But I turned to one of the longest-serving Western reporters in Russia to get another measure on how Putin and Russia are fearing in this crisis. Fred Weir is a journalist with the Christian Science Monitor. And Fred, I know you from my time in uh, Moscow as a correspondent. I was there for 12 years, and I, I consider that a, a pretty great track record. But I, I sense you must be double that by now. Uh, three times, almost. Uh, I came in 1986 and have been here ever since. Uh, more, I mean, I've lived here permanently ever since. Has it gotten more difficult? Because people have asked me before, was it difficult to be a foreign correspondent based in Russia? Has it gotten more difficult for you? Do you feel you're writing the same stories about President Putin and his grasp on power endlessly with no kind of apparent progression? No. Uh, actually, uh, my newspaper, the Christian Science Monitor, has decided to reinvent itself as a kind of a daily news magazine thing. And they positively forbid us from writing the formulaic stories. You have to go out and find some slice of life or story under the story that generates momentum. Um, they, they uh, you know, they, it's, a, it's a newspaper founded by a church, and they have this sense of mission. But I have found that it dovetails really nicely with my own personal journalistic instincts because I am really sick and tired of the Russia stories that, you know, the recipe, uh, which usually revolves around Putin and his evil doings. Uh, 
but it, it doesn't explain this country. And so the monitor has encouraged me to go out and do stuff. I've done all kinds of things from the North Caucasus, from Siberia. You know, this is a huge, diverse country that and very, very little of it ever gets covered, you know, Absolutely. outside Moscow. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. As we speak... I will have to bring you back to the news of the day in a sense that, you know, there's a spike in coronavirus cases in Russia. Oil prices have hit bottom. Sanctions remain in place. People are locked inside. Businesses are failing. Putin doesn't appear to me to be a big guy in charge as he's always done. I mean, clearly he's in charge, but he seems less robust on TV, less strategic about this because there's no one to blame, which has always been kind of his trademark craft to blame the West. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, actually, I think that, that uh, he, has, he has played what I think is, is a good role. Uh, I, I know I differ from a lot of people who can't seem to imagine that Putin would ever do anything sensibly, but um, he stepped back. He's handed it over to a team of technocrats uh, head, headed by Prime Minister Mishustin, who is now down with coronavirus himself, but also the Moscow mayor, Sobyanin. They're very competent people, uh, and they do all the heavy lifting. They do also, also all the bad news giving. Uh, Putin uh, sometimes has video chats with local governors, and he gives these um, fireside chat-type national addresses in which he announces good news and it sounds reassuring. I mean, is he doing yeah, that no, because uh, th that's the most efficient way of handling the crisis or is he stepping back and putting it on other people's shoulders so he can blame them later? He, he doesn't, he, yes, that, that's, that is the way Russian, the Russian political system has always worked. It's always been the wise czar and the bad boyars it's uh, it, it is an old formula in Russia, and Putin plays it to the hilt. But he also often plays on TV this guy who has his hand on the control panel and can handle absolutely everything. You know, he gives these press conferences where he answers questions in depth and in detail about problems of sewage or schools that lack blackboards and things. So he uh, he isn't doing that now. Um, and so he's criticized for not doing that. But I, I don't know. So far, you, you can't say that Russia has had a like a really remarkably good response to the, this crisis. I don't to say I the least. Right? Countries. I mean, a lot of people feel that they they started late. They they downplayed it. They even suggested at one point on television there that the United Kingdom was responsible in Wuhan. You know, some preposterous propaganda yeah. on some of the television channels was fed to Russians. You, you can you can find people saying idiotic things in various corners of the Russian media, but uh, officially they haven't done that. Uh, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find even the even their um, international language outlets like RT or Sputnik uh, purveying disinformation. They're not doing that, and they're not doing it domestically. They've been pretty straight with people about how bad this is. Let's talk about uh, Russians. I mean. Hmm. First, the healthcare system. I mean, I've been, I've done a lot of stories in Russian hospitals, uh, and there appear now, and and you know, the healthcare system was dismal at different points, and I don't know what it's like today, but there's some dim stories coming out of hospitals where doctors are locked inside, sick themselves, 
trying to combat this in an underfunded and really desperate healthcare system. Yeah, I think I think that's true, especially in the provinces, um, and it's also true in like half a dozen other countries. So Russia is not alone in this. I um, I, I don't think they've done anything exceptionally bad, um, uh, but they, they you what is it? That man once said, "You go to war with the army you have." So anyway, Russia's got the healthcare system it has. It's been uh, severely reformed, reformed with quotation marks in the past uh, ten years or so. So all those local Soviet hospitals and clinics across the country were closed down, and they did invest in big regional hospitals, specialized hospitals. This was actually Western advice on how to remodel your healthcare system. And a lot of people are saying now that the Soviet healthcare system would have worked much better because it's Why? localized. Localized, it, doesn't, it means that people, these, most of these coronavirus cases can be handled in, by, by those could have been handled by these Soviet clinics uh, with paramedics. The, most people don't require uh, like intensive care. Um, so it, it, they would have really limited the movement of people in regions. And the, these big hospitals, as, as they have everywhere, become vectors of transmission, spread it far and wide. Um, they also don't have this system of, of nursing homes in Russia. It's very underdeveloped. And that's another thing that has seemingly become like critical hotspots in other countries. Um, but no, but they're, they, so far, I mean... Uh, it's it's hard to know. They're they're still on the upswing. Uh, you wrote about small business and uh, that yeah. it's about twenty percent of the economy. They are under huge pressure, are they not? I mean, because I know some businessmen in Moscow who say that they are barely surviving and probably considering going out of business. It, a, a nightmare for them. Uh, they first of all, it, they're they're a new phenomenon in this country. They're, they're not well. You don't have any well-established small businesses here. And uh, they are never at the top of anybody's priority list. And they often, like small businesses do everywhere, live very close to the ground. You, you know, you've got your street traffic. You've got, if you're a cafe or a restaurant or something, you've got certain things you depend on. And if that stops, you're gone. And uh, government aid has not really stepped in. It's, it's rhetorical at this point. Putin did promise wage subsidies for workers in small businesses, and they're supposed to get uh, zero-interest loans, uh, but banks don't distribute this. I, I mean, it's clear the banks give priority to big business and uh, larger established businesses, and as always, short shift goes to the small businessmen. So yeah, this, it is quite possible that when this thing lifts, um, that infrastructure of small business, small businesses that was just starting to really appear, like Moscow in the past decade or so, has really transformed. It has all kinds of restaurants, cafeterias, all many levels of consumer services that could all be gone. You said in one of your articles, three million people have left Moscow. I mean, that's a quarter of the city. Yeah, uh, what they can do that because. Um, Russians tend to have a dacha, a country place. Always did, even in Soviet times. Um, and uh, you just go out there and, and camp. Uh, I, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm living in a village outside of Moscow in what we call our dacha. 
but we, we actually live here. But lots and lots of people around us are, you know, they're, they're staying, they, they live in Moscow and work in Moscow, but they've come out here for the duration. Is that a good thing? Does that mean that the city is less dense? It's already a very densely populated city. Or does it create a problem where they go out into places like Barvika, where they're taking, they're transporting the virus out to maybe regional areas that are ill-prepared to handle that many people coming to hospital? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if there there is a clear and unambiguous answer to that, but I think it's good. People, uh, for, first of all, most services are holding up, like uh, a grocery delivery and things. Uh, so far, so good. We're in the fifth week of it now, and we just got our you know grocery delivery, and everything was there. So. Uh, I think it's it's better to have people out of the city. It's always better to be in the countryside, and the weather is mostly good now. Uh, and 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 you can do social distancing better out here. Although in our Pasiolok, our our um, village, uh, there are seven cases um, registered. So we've got it here. There's no escaping from it. If there is a mounting challenge, or a right-hand turn that you you see coming in the road, what will it be? Um, I, I I don't know. I I think it depends how long this goes on. Because as as you said in, in your introduction, Russia is under intense pressure. It's not just this coronavirus thing. It, it's ongoing sanctions uh, and oil prices that have just collapsed again. And you have to admit. If, if you're sitting in my chair and having to analyze this stuff every day, that Russia has survived the past six years with that double whammy, low oil prices, Western sanctions. They not only have survived, but they've built up their state finances, balanced the budget. They've done a lot of defensive things. So they're not in a bad position to handle this. But if it goes on, you know, just there's just no no country is going to survive as it as it was uh, if this is another six months or something. Well, we wish you well, Fred. And of course, Russia, prayers to all those people struggling through this crisis. Fred Weir, a friend and one of the best news correspondents you can read writing about Russia from Russia in the Christian Science Monitor. Thank you, Fred. Thanks, Dana. May 9th. 75 years ago, Russia declared victory over Germany after 30 million Russians died fighting the Nazis. This year, the victory celebration on Red Square was canceled because of COVID-19. Several hundred soldiers were already sick with the virus, just rehearsing that event. But Russians are resilient and we wish them well. I have many Russian friends. To them and everyone, good health. I'm Dana Lewis. And that's our latest edition of Backstory.